you know, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about beyond the hype and beyond the, um, uh, the fear that some people have about last days, end times. We've been looking in the scripture to say, what does God say he wants his church to do in the latter days? Knowing that the last days, as far as I can tell, started when Peter said, this is what Joel was talking about, that that was a, that the day of Pentecost started something. And um, in that, one of the things we talked about was, was how the scripture says that um, the time has passed for us to, to be sleeping. The time has passed for us to be drunken. The time has passed for us to be wasting our time. Uh, we read that on Wednesday night, and that's, that's a powerful thought because he says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a huge point that, that there's a waking up, but you know, when we wake up, there's something you've got to do. You wake up, you get, your alarm goes off, you wake up. You, it's not enough to just wake up and stay in bed. You've got to wake up, then you've got to rise up. And when we wake up and we rise up and we start to walk as children of light, because we are children of light, because we are light, we walk as children of light, then Christ shines on us in those moments. And, and a lot of us are waiting for a divine meeting, uh, um, some sort of angelic encounter where we are commissioned to go do something. But the truth is, when you step out into to what God has called us all to do, when we step out in faith into what his word has commanded us to do, Jesus saying, follow me, do as I do, then Christ shines on you in those moments. Christ shines on you. And, and the, the, uh, the tricky part is that, you know, like Peter, is the part from the boat to the water, that, that moment of falling and uh, trusting that when your foot hits the water, you'll, you'll find something solid, you know. There's that step of faith where you say, God, if you don't shine on me, if you don't breathe on this, there's nothing there. I've got nothing to offer. And the good news is his word, is, his word tells us he's not, he's not a... Um, uh, 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 a schizophrenic, uh, you know, unpredictable God. Now, there's certain things certainly that are unpredictable to me because his ways are so much higher. But he does say, this is what I'll do when you do this. Right? Like, you know when you go love somebody, you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know how the situation is going to turn out. But you know when you love someone that he's going to be there in that moment. You know that when you preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit is on that word. That, that there's power that's not from you. It's from him. And so... We, we, we got to step out and trust that, that he is. As many as are the promises of God, in him they're yes, and in Christ Jesus we have our amen. So I want you to open to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to talk about a little bit of the practical. Uh, last week we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 3, how uh, we are the temple of God. So just to recap, if you weren't here, the Bible says that we're the temple of God. Now, you may have heard the scripture where someone says, your body is the temple of God. You're the temple of God, singular. And that's later on in 1 Corinthians, he says that. And he says, that's why you got to honor God with your body, because this body is a temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in this body. You know, th there have been teachings ever since the early church. There have been teachings that the body and the spirit were so far apart that the spirit was always going to be good and the body was always going to be bad. So why do you even try? Right? Why do you even try uh, to do good things with your body? Go ahead and do what you feel like with your body. It's going to be fleshly, but your spirit is holy. There was a separation. But, but in, in the scripture, there's not, we do know that there's spirit, soul, and body. We understand there's three parts, but they're not three parts divided. They're three parts together. And Jesus didn't die for just your spirit. Right. Scripture says, I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I will glorify God with my body, right? 
Jesus wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, your mind, your strength. So my body is not a separate piece that's always going to be dirty and rotten and bad. My body's been redeemed. Now, it, it wasn't, it, you know, my spirit was made holy and righteous in a moment. My body, I've got to train my body, right? You've got to train your body. When I was, in, when I was like 19, 20, uh, I could digest Tupperware. Like your body will just, whatever you put in there. I could eat pizza every day and stay the same weight. I was fine. You guys know that that's not the way it goes now, right? <laughs> and training your body, here's the big thing. Um, it's probably one of the best things that my body can't just turn everything into fuel and I'm, I just stay the same weight no matter what I eat. Because what I'm learning in this process of getting older and having to watch what you eat and, and be mindful about exercise is, is I'm learning to tell my body, you don't always get what you want. Yeah. I should have been telling my body that when I didn't need to. It's a good spiritual discipline for your belly not to be your God. For you not to always feed your appetites. That's one of the wonderful things about fasting. One of the wonderful things, fasting is not to make God feel sorry for you. Right? right? Look how pathetic I am. Now will you answer my prayer? One of the greatest things about fasting is saying, uh, spirit's in charge here. And I'm, I'm going to choose the spirit over the body. And I'm going to say no to my flesh right now. And in saying no to my flesh, I'm strengthening the spirit. And, and, and there's some really good things that come from that. And so um, with all that said, you know, um, uh, if he redeemed my body and he redeemed my mind and he redeemed my spirit, I'm going to glorify him with every part. Um, so when it says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that matters. But in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, don't you know, and the you is plural. And if you were here with us last Sunday... I, I said, you know, if I was speaking the language of my parents, I would say, don't y'all know that y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's a plural statement. You, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are living stones that build a temple. And as I was praying this week, and I wasn't praying about last week's sermon or this week's sermon. I was just praying. God brought that back to my attention. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, I've, I've always believed that when it comes to me, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, right, individually. I came from a family where that was a big deal to us. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Live like the Holy Spirit's living in you. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, we, 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 that was a big deal to us, but, but it just came so alive to me this week. It came so alive. The Spirit of God dwells in our gathering, in our building, in our joining. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So not just like, oh, Holy, the Holy Spirit's in Eric and the Holy Spirit's in me, and when we're together, the Holy Spirit's in us. No, no, no. There, there's this picture painted in 1 Corinthians 3 that there's a temple built for the Spirit of God. Like his presence lives in the joining of these stones. And it makes me really, really think about a Sunday morning like this. That the Holy Spirit lives in this space where we've gathered together. He lives in the gathering. But it makes me think about what we're doing throughout the week. And it makes me think about the fact that, that later on Paul says, so if anybody destroys the temple that I built, I'll destroy them. That's how precious this gathering is. Not Sunday morning gathering, but the joining of people every day of the year, the joining of people that God, God puts you in a building 
God made you a stone and a building. So now we're going to talk about, we talked about God making us a building. Now we're going to talk about God making us a body. And you probably heard that talked about a lot, the body of Christ. Uh, you know, maybe when you first came to church and we used words like corporate worship, you're like, corporate worship? Is that like business worship? Yeah. <laughs> corporate worship. Uh, maybe if you, were, if you were new to the whole charismatic Pentecostal thing and we used a word like corporate anointing, you're like, what in the world is a corporate anointing? Is that, is that anointing to do Wall Street well? Like, what is corporate anointing? What we're talking about is the body. Corporate comes from the Latin word corpus, which means body, right? So, uh, you know, corporate just means the body. When we say corporate worship, we're worshiping together. When we talk about corporate anointing, we're talking about the grace of God on a body to move together as one. So, so this is really cool. God made us a body. We talk about that a lot. But I don't know how real it is to all of us. Uh, it's probably real when it's convenient to be real. But I, I want it to be real to me when it's not convenient. I want it to be real to me every moment of the day. I want to read you something from the book of Ephesians. And then we're going to skip over to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 4, or sorry, Ephesians 4, 4, says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you, I beg you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen to that. You have to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That doesn't sound passive to me. It doesn't sound like you just said it and then you leave it. Like, okay, I came, I joined this group of believers. We love each other. Uh, I know there's a bigger group of believers in the city. We love them. Um, part of a global move of God. Love them too. Uh, I did my bit. I came out of the world. I came into light. Now I'm set. It seems like there's diligence required. There's effort required. Any of you who are married knows marriage takes work. You can't just like, you can't just say, well, I said I do. Everything's fine now. You know, you can't just say, you've heard me say I love you. Why don't you believe it anymore? You've got to keep saying it and you've got to keep living it. There's diligence. And, and, and if there's all of the forces in the world are driving us to selfishness. All the forces in the world are driving us to competition. All the forces in the world are driving us to covetousness and jealousy. These are the forces of the world. That's the wisdom of the world. The fruit of the flesh is always strife and bitterness and jealousy. So everything around you is trying to tear you away from the unity that God built. So we have to be diligent to preserve the unity Unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now it says this, there's one body and there's one spirit. Don't separate those two terms too much, you know. There's one body, there's one spirit. The reason there is one body is because there's one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And I think it's important real quick, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but it's really important. A lot of us will use the term calling as our individual giftings, our individual destiny, if you want to use that word, individual thing like this is what God called me to do. God called me to be a pastor. But many times in the scripture, the word calling isn't really talking about your ministry or your one thing that you're doing. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when he says calling, 
He's talking about the fact that you were called in his family. He's talking about the fact that you were called out of darkness and into light. He's talking about the fact that he called you to himself. He called you to a body. That's the big calling. And that calling is is a lot bigger, let me just say this, it's a lot bigger than just my calling to, to preach or my calling to be a pastor. It's my calling to be a child of God. My calling, he called me out of darkness and into light. He called me out of, out of the world and into his family. He called me to you. you. He called you to me. He called us all to him. Amen. He says this, You've been called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You need all three of those things. For this unity to work, we need our Father to be over us all. See, if we're not submitted to God, there will be no true unity. We might get some stuff done together. The world has a degree of unity. They can get together. A political party's got unity to a degree. But there won't be any real spiritual unity. Life-giving unity. There won't be that if, there's, if, if we're not submitted to God. Right? If we're not taking our orders from the head, the body has no purpose or function. In fact, the body has no life. Chop a head off and see how long you live. Don't do that. Not that anybody would try. You can't live without your head. You can't live without the brain. We can't live as a body and have any life without being connected to the head of the body, submitted to the head. So he's over all. The Father is over all. And he's in all. And he's through all. And if we could just have the whole rest of the sermon just to talk about that, that would be good, but I'm not. We're going to move on. He says... But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Praise God. According to the measure of Christ's gift means the, uh, the amount of grace you were given is not in, in not a, the ratio is not set by how much you need. It's not set by how much you can carry. It's not set by how much you deserve. The ratio of grace given to you it's based on how much Christ's gift is, how, how much he has, how much he deserves, how much power is in him. So there's really no limit to it. He says this. Therefore, when it says, he, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. It says this expression, he ascended. What does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now, I, I'm, I believe that there's a lot more gifts than the five he listed here, but these are five equipping gifts. They're meant to equip the saints. You're all saints. Whether or not you're comfortable with the term, you are a saint. You're made holy. So he says... The point of these gifts that he mentioned there is to equip you for the work of ministry. That's what we're doing right now. The point isn't, you know, that, that well, you know, the pastor just needs to get out and, and he just needs to talk a little bit. And you know what? If he talked to the wall, he'd be bored. So he needs people to, to say amen. And he needs people to clap. And, and if he tells a corny joke, he needs them to laugh a little bit. Let's make him feel better. None of us want to play that game. Right? We're here. Not so that you can fill a slot on your Sunday morning. We're not here so that we can feel like somebody is feeding us because we can't feed ourselves. 
Because if you, you know, at a certain point, babies need to grow up and feed themselves. And we get fed on a Sunday morning, but boy, this isn't our only time for it. So what's the purpose of something like this? It's equipping us for ministry. So often we see the stage as ministry. This is where ministry happens. But you guys know, you should know, that ministry should happen way more out there than in here. This is great when ministry happens here, but this is just training for that. That's the point. The upper room was not about the upper room. On the day of Pentecost, they're just sitting in the upper room. That's not the point. They're not just supposed to sit there and just go, this is wonderful, I love it. Let's just keep doing this for a while. It had to go to the street. The point of the upper room was to spill into the streets of Jerusalem. So he says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So the point is that the body would be built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there, we read this a few weeks ago, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies. We said this a few weeks ago. God is in the joints. When you are a part of the body, Audrey's a part of the body, Tia's a part of the body, Chance is a part of the body, and they're all different body parts, but it says that there's a supply when those parts get together in a joints. God is in the joining of parts. God is in that moment when you realize you can't do this on your own. And I'm not just talking about your personal struggle. I'm talking about what's ahead of us as the body of Christ. You are not enough. Right. Now, there's seasons where a, guy, a man or a woman is out in the middle of the jungle with a machete, hacking away, preaching the gospel where it hasn't been preached like Paul did, where there's grace on them for that moment, them and Jesus, and it's enough but it's not the way the body was designed. It's not a permanent solution. Any more than a pioneer can't stay a pioneer for the rest of their life. Can they? Well, I mean, you might say that, but like we can't be a civilization of pioneers for, for 100 years. You have to move from pioneering to building. God did not design the body to always be just a bunch of self-sufficient people. And we'll get to that in a minute. He says... We're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according, listen to this, to the proper working of each individual part. You need to ask yourself, what would be the proper working of the grace on my life? Because it says, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you know what causes the body to grow? Each individual part doing their part. That's what causes the body to grow in love. So easy for us to think that we're dispensable, isn't it? If I don't show up, if I don't really connect, if I don't really make an effort, nobody will notice because I'm not really one of those people. We're about to see that, and I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12.
We have to get past the lie of insufficiency. The lie that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm dispensable, I'm not needed, I'm not important. Because, you know, we sang that song, I am who he says I am. You got to realize every time, now that you're a believer, every time you talk about yourself, you better be talking about yourself in the context of who you are in Christ. That's really who you are. So it's fine and dandy for you to act all falsely humble and say, you know, when you were in the world and say, well, I'm not that special. No one needs me. Yeah, that's who we were before Jesus. Without him, we could do nothing. But, you know, if he called you and he placed you in the body, for you to say I'm not important is an insult to him. You're part of his body. What you're saying is that Jesus doesn't need all his parts. And that's kind of offensive. Jesus, I'm, I'm not a big fan of your hands. They're weird hands. I like the rest of you. I don't like your hands. You've got to be okay with saying, and you've got you to be affirmative in saying, yeah, if God called me, he needs me. Yeah. Now, the flip of that is, well, boy, that makes God sound kind of powerless. No, it makes him sound pretty sovereign because he chose you before the foundation of the world. Right. Now, you still had to make some choices. I, I'm a believer that you... You know, he chose us and we chose him. I, I think that that works together. And if we had 12 hours, we could debate that. But um, really, I believe that something happened when you came into the body of Christ, that God chose you before that, but he equipped you in that moment. He, he, he put you in a place. And let's read it together in 1 Corinthians 12. So remember, this is the same letter that we read last week. We just read earlier where he said, you guys need to stop acting like babies and starting your own little clubs where this is the group that likes prophetic stuff and this is the group that likes teaching and this is the group that likes a good preacher that doesn't go too deep and this is the group that likes uh, university-style PowerPoint. And, then, you know, and, and, and we all divide in our little tribes and we don't realize we need each other. And we always gravitate, come on guys, I, I gravitate towards giftings that are like mine because it affirms me. It makes me feel like, hey, they're doing what I do. What I do is pretty important. But that's not what God wants me to learn from that moment. God wants me to grow in areas I need to grow. And how many of you know the areas you need to grow in are not the areas you want to grow in a lot of times? Right? The scripture said we need to grow up in all aspects. Well, how many of you know that leg day is not always your favorite day in working out? <laughs> you just want to work out the muscles that are already strong because those don't hurt. So just let me keep doing this. I could do this all day. Yeah, you could because those are the strong muscles. But you got those toothpicks for legs. <laughs> that is hard working them out because they don't have the muscles yet. But that's why you got to work them out. So maybe you need to have some things in your life that make you uncomfortable, right? 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to, this whole chapter would be useful to you, so that's your homework, but uh, let's skip to verse 12. For even as the body is, well, let's start verse 11. He talks about different giftings. He talks about knowledge and faith and healing and, and, and miracles and prophecy and tongues and interpretation, and then he says, uh, in verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things. I, I think sometimes we think our gifting is our identity 
And we think because this is the gift I have, this is all that resides in me. Listen to me. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And so I kind of, I kind of, I think people are called to certain things. I think people are gifted in certain areas and they're strong in certain areas. I don't necessarily believe that you're always going to do one thing for the rest of your life or that you could only do one thing for the rest of your life. I think if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can do whatever he wants you to do. Now, it does mean you need to figure out what he's called you to. You know, Paul said, by the grace given to me, I say this to you. So I'm an apostle, so I'm going to talk like an apostle. He knew who he was. But you know, when Paul was in, you know, different parts of the world, he, he's an apostle, but sometimes he's acting like a prophet, and sometimes he's acting like an evangelist, and sometimes he's acting like a teacher, and sometimes he's acting like a pastor because the, the, the moment needed him to be that. But when he came back to the group, and he came back to the body, and Agabus the prophet starts to prophesy, he said, you go ahead, that's, you, that's your thing. He didn't try to be everything when he's in the body of Christ. So listen, we all have that spirit, and the spirit works all these things, and it says he distributes to each one individually just as he wills. That's a tough one for us to hear. He distributes to each one individually as he wills. You don't get to pick. I want to pick. I want, let me pick. I want to pick what you, how you use me. I want to pick the gift. No, he says he picks it. He distributes it as he wills. And then it says this, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks, whether we were slaves or free, whether we were hipsters or ranchers, whatever we were, we came into the body and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Wow. The body is not one member, but it's many. Now, this is the part we need to get to. The body is not one member, but it's many. The body is not one member, but it's many. So I grew up in a, a powerful movement of preaching and teaching the word of God and teaching people to step out and say, if God says it, we believe it. To really believe the word, step out in faith on it. That was, my, that was our background. And in that, there was a lot of, well, hey, I've, I've just got to step up. Why have I not believed this? I need to press in. I need to, I need to fight the fight of faith. I don't need to give up so easy. And, and it built us up in the sense that we were saying, hey, you know what? I'm not waiting for anybody else to do this for me. I need to, I need to believe God. Now, we know for every proper road, there's a mile of ditch on one side. For every mile of road, there's a mile of ditch on one side and a mile on the other side. The ditch you could get into if you weren't careful was thinking that you, by yourself, could do everything God wanted you to do. Right? Heard that term, me and Jesus are a majority. Well, what that meant was no power of hell can stop you when you're in Christ and you're standing in him. However, if you took that wrong, you'd start to believe that I don't need anybody else, just me and Jesus. And that's a dangerous way to live. It's a proud way to live. So he says here, listen to this. He says, the body is not one member, it's many. I don't care what part of the body you're talking about in your own body. None of your body parts could function by themselves. 
There's not one part of the body that would be functional by itself. God created the body to depend on itself. He says, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. In the short time that we have left, I want to address two lies that we have to get past. And the first lie is, I'm not needed. And the second lie is, I don't need anyone else. So the first one that he addresses is that feeling that you're not important to the body. Why would you think, why would you think that, why would the foot think, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body? Let me just use myself as an example. A couple times a week, I stand up here and I, I preach. I'm visible. People see me. And they say, well, okay, well, he's walking in the grace that's on his life. And he's doing what God called them to do. So if they see me, then if you don't know any better, you might just think, well, that's what someone looks like when they do what God tells. That's what someone looks like in ministry. Because that's the example you have in front of you right now. That's not the only example you have, but it's one of them. So you begin to say, that's, that's the body part that matters, because that's the one we put on the stage on Sunday. But that's not what the Bible says at all. It's not true. I'm one of many parts. You're, you're, you're just as valuable, if not more so, than I am. But because I have a microphone, we somehow put honor to the parts that get microphones, right? If you're singing, if you're preaching... If you're doing anything with a microphone in our culture, that means you have something important to say. Have you ever considered that there are parts of the body that don't need to say anything to do their part right? Therefore, they don't need a microphone to do it? We find that blows our head. We don't know. You know, if you're doing something for God, at some point, someone will give you a microphone. Because we've based all ministry around a Sunday morning experience. Right? Even a Sunday morning experience. Guys, I look at the back after a service and I see ministry happening all the time. At the front and at the back and all around. What's happening downstairs right now is powerful ministry to parts of the body that are just as valuable as us. Just because they're seven doesn't mean they're any less important than me. Jesus said, those are the guys, look at them, that's the kingdom. Look at that person that's encouraging someone, inviting them out to lunch. Look at that person that's laying their hands, praying for someone. Look at that person over there that's connecting parts that wouldn't connect. Those are valuable ministry roles. And that's just on a Sunday morning, which is not built to do everything. Now imagine, John said, when he got into a home group, he discovered other people in business. He, he discovered that, that he wasn't the only Christian businessman around. And you begin to understand how God uses people. He wants to fill the Lord Minster business world with believers so that he can fill it with his presence. That's ministry. That's got to be ministry. That's got to be a part of what Jesus is doing in Lloyd Minster because you and I know that there's no way we could even fit half of the city in all of our buildings. So where's ministry taking place? It's taking place anywhere believers are. God's touching places, right? You got to be equipped for that. And so if we're not careful, we look at the parts that seem like they're doing something and we go, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not doing what they're doing. But you don't want your feet to be your hands and you don't want your hands to be your feet, right? right? You don't want them. If you do, you're like a monkey. You know, that's not effective. I like that my parts are different. And I, I've said this before, but 
Our body parts, if we wanted to showcase their ability, if we wanted to showcase our body parts' ability, we would do the one thing that makes them look like this is a, this is a hand. My goodness, this is a hand. Can you see this, guys? This is a hand. And if I wanted to show you this is a foot, this is a foot. And if I wanted to say this is a neck, this is a neck, right? <laughs> If every part showed off what they could do, the body would be insane. <laughs> so we got to get the parts out of showcase mode and put them in service mode. How many of you ever bought a stereo that's in the showcase mode? And you get it home and you try to figure out how to take it out of demo mode because demo mode is stupid. It works in the store. It lights up. It does funny things, but it is really ineffective. So if we have a spirit of competition... Where does competition come from? It comes from a feeling of I'm not important. I'm not enough. So I want to be like them because they're important. Therefore, I want their gift. And that spirit of competition will breed in us a showcase mentality where we, we want to do the one thing that shows off our gift the most. But that's not in the scripture. The scripture says as each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another. Your body parts are working together in concert to do something amazing that none of them could do by themselves. That's why your fingers don't look the same. Even your fingers, which are like, they're kind of the same part. We call them the same thing. Nobody says my index, my ring. You do sometimes, but you just call them the fingers. And yet each one of them is distinct and has a different purpose. And working together, they find a far greater purpose. And he says, you can't say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. You should never say, because I'm not doing what they're doing, I'm not important. You see, God created the body. Listen, Jesus died for our freedom, but he didn't die for our independence. You know what I'm saying? He died to set us free. He did not die to make us independent. We are completely dependent on him. And shocker of shockers, he made us dependent on one another. The body is specifically engineered. It's not a flaw, it's a feature. The body is specifically engineered for interdependence. It is not, it's not, it's not engineered for deficiency. It's, it's, it's designed and inter engineered for interdependency. So we're made to have need. So when the scripture says, in, in Christ all the fullness of him... All the fullness of the God had dwelled in Christ in bodily form. And then he goes, and in him you've been made complete. Another reading of it says, in him you've been made full. That's powerful. Because it says, I am enough in Christ. I have everything I need in Christ. And yet I, I would challenge you in one area. It doesn't mean that I should live a me and Jesus on an island lifestyle. Because God purposely, purposely designed us to need each other. Which means he purposely designed us not to be okay by ourselves when we shouldn't be by ourselves. And that's a tough one for me to swallow, guys. Because it challenges my pride and it challenges my need for control. And if you're sitting here and you go, I have no need for control, bless your heart, that's wonderful. <laughs> but I like control. I like control because when I'm in control, I feel that I feel like 
as long as I do my part, everything will be fine. When I'm in control, I feel a sense of, I feel a sense of completeness and fulfillment in myself. But I was never meant to feel that way. I'm meant to feel every moment of the day, I need Jesus. And every day, I need you. And you need me. Whether or not we talk to each other that day. Whether or not I even think of you that day, that God created me to need you. That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me. I'd rather not need you. I'm sorry, I love you, but I'd rather not need you. Because if I don't need you, you can't disappoint me. Right? Jesus is always going to do right. He's, he's perfect. You're not perfect. So I don't have a problem needing Jesus because he's perfect. He, he would never say anything to me that wasn't right. But you know the problem with needing people? People fail. People are flawed. People get offended over stupid things. People get in arguments when they don't need to get in arguments. People, people fall short of the mark. So God, I, I think you should just fix this where we don't need each other, where we can just be a bunch of nice independent people at, that get together and pat each other on the back and hug each other and then go back to our forts and we're fine. <laughs> can you fix that for me? Please, Lord. Because the last time I called this person, I say, I need, I need help moving. And, and I have 10 friends that I helped move. But when I say I need help moving, one person shows up. God, what's wrong with that? Can't you just give me amazing muscles? <laughs> like chance. And I can just pick everything up. <laughs> I don't need anybody. God created us to need each other. So if God created us to need each other, you can never say I'm not needed. And I've always, I've always... I've had conversations with people that are so tempted. They're so tempted to not connect anymore. Ah, they've been hurt. Or a lot of times they're ashamed of something. And they just say, you know what? No one will notice if I'm not there. No one will notice if I don't show up. No one will notice if I'm missing. They've got, they've got people better than me. They've got people more talented, more spiritual, more gifted than me. I'm not important. You know what? I'm just going to sit out. I'll sit on the bench. No one will notice. And that's a lie, and it's never from God. It's never from God. And there's always the lie on top of that. If I do show up, everybody's going to look at me, and they're going to judge me, and they're going to, they're going to be real critical. And I've never found that to be true in, in, in anybody I've been a part of. I've always found open arms. I've seen people welcomed. I've seen them loved. And sure, church, hurt pe church hurts people because people hurt people sometimes. But you can never say... Because I'm not that part, I'm not an important part. Because what you're saying is Christ is not important. That part of Christ is not important. I think if we changed our language and we say, that part of Christ is important and that part of Christ isn't important, and you'd see how silly it was to say it. Right. Let me read you the, this second part as we come to the landing. If the whole body... Were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? The most spiritual person in the world cannot do everything that God needs them to do. Doesn't matter how spiritual or how well rounded they are, no one was designed to be every part. We're designed to be one part. Uh, 
a preacher that, that we've known for a long time and admired. He said he struggled for the first, I don't know how, how many years, but he struggled because he, 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 was, at, he was serving another ministry and he, he, that was his example. He just wanted to be like that. And he actually went to a Bible school in, to train in that area. And he said, I was frustrated all the time. He said, I didn't do well. I was mad. I was angry. I was frustrated. He said, because I was an ear going to nose school. <laughs> right? The old saying goes, and I'm probably messing it up, but you can't judge a fish by its ability to climb trees. Right? That, that fish can't climb a tree. What a lame fish. Wasn't designed to. Do you know how many hours are wasted us trying so hard to do what we think we should do because someone else is doing it? So we're trying to do it so hard and we're, what, God, why isn't it working? God, why can't I ever do it? Because that's not who you are. That's not who you are. That's not who I made you to be. Because if everybody was in here, where would the smell be? If everybody was an eye, where would, the, where would the hearing be? He says, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. Not as you desire, not as your mom desires, not as your wife or husband desires, not as your friends desire. He puts you where he thinks you're, he, he knows you need to be. He places you where he desires. I love that. Desire is a good word. God wants you to be where he places you. He thinks you're going to do good. He planned it that way. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Now, the first lie we dealt with is no one needs me. The second lie we're going to deal with, we're going to deal with it quickly, is I don't need anybody else. The lie of insufficiency is just as wrong as the lie of self-sufficiency. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And I'll just be honest with you, there's been seasons in my life where I thought the right and good, mature thing to say, the more I grew up, the less I would need people. I thought the more I grew in Christ, the less I would need others. But Ephesians 4 that we read actually seems to imply the opposite. The more I mature, the more we grow up together into him. You actually will develop needs. Doesn't that sound messed up? I thought Jesus was supposed to take care of my needs. I thought, I thought when I started, I had a million needs. And then when I end, I have no needs. I, I'm perfect. I, my needs are all met. I, I believe that the more you grow up into Christ, you will develop needs for people. That sounds dumb. I don't want that. I want to be self-sufficient. No, you don't. You see, like a, a tree, it grows around its environment, doesn't it? It, it grows around whatever you plant it around. It, it will grow around that. We actually grow up into one another, and so you begin to develop needs for the people that God puts in your life. And, 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 and that seems like a flawed plan. That's actually a wonderful plan. Because in it, God is glorified. Because who could take these diverse people and put them together and make anything that sounded good? Who could take these instruments and put them and tell them to play their parts and make a symphony from it? Only God could do that. 
See, I used to play a trumpet. I played, I was the first trumpet. And so that, that was the guy um, that, you know, you'd have some solo parts, you'd have some high parts. Um, but the, the crazy thing was a trumpet is tuned to a B-flat range, uh, whereas there were other uh, flutes that were E-flat, and there were, there were instruments that were Cs, and, 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 and they all seemed to not go together. But somebody really clever designed a piece of music. And, and you ever hear, you know, the, 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 the um, com, uh, conductor would go around the band and he'd tell us to each play our parts. Now, first trumpet part still sounds pretty good. I'm not trying to brag on myself because <laughs> I didn't write the music. But a first trumpet part kind of carries the melody a lot of times. It sounds, you ever heard a tuba do a solo? <laughs> Poor tuba guy. They never sound good on themselves. Rarely. Nobody says, is your son practicing tuba up there? That's beautiful. Can he just come to my hospital room and play for me? Nobody. nobody David wouldn't bring a tuba to King Saul and soothe the spirits. The only time a tuba sounds good by itself is when a really large person is walking in a cartoon. That's when you use a tuba. Not in real life, in a cartoon. But somehow together, these parts that don't seem to match, that's the, that's, that shows the glory of the conduct, the composer. The man who, or woman who wrote the music took diverse parts that don't seem to match, and then when you put them together, whoa. Have you ever gone to the symphony and just watched? You ever see that one guy on percussion that's like waiting half the song? <laughs> He's got, the, he's got the symbols, and he's just waiting. And he, he's like, he, you know he's only got one part. You know he's got to have it memorized, but he's still following the music. Flip. Flip. And you're just like, come on, man. Flip, just staring at it. Don't, don't lose your focus. Jim, your, your, your chance is coming. Don't lose your focus. And then you see it, and the band starts building the timpanis going, and bomb. And you just see him all of a sudden, his face lights up. It's my part. Psh, psh, psh. How'd you like to be that guy? I want to be the guy that's playing all the time. I want to be the guy that's always talking. No, no. Keep your mouth shut. Stay. Your, your time is coming. Well, it may not seem like it to us, but that guy is really important. Anybody, anybody know the, uh, the uh, 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 1812 symphony? You know that one? <laughs> Pretend you do. No one's going to check. <laughs> so at the end of it, at the end of it, the coolest part of this whole piece of music is that there's a cannon that goes off. Now, you only do it with the cannon when you're outside. <laughs> Or you ruin a lot of concert halls. But it's my favorite part of the song. Bah, bah, bah. The cannon blast. Can you imagine being the guy that runs the cannon? Right? You don't do anything for the whole thing until the very end. But you have the coolest job in everybody. You see, a lot of times we're not willing to sit back and watch and let somebody else do their part because we want to be seen. Because we feel like if we're not seen, we're not important. If I'm not always doing something, I'm not important. But that's not true. And he's going to tell us why in a moment. First of all, he says, you can never say, it's not spiritual to say I don't need anybody but Jesus. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Even, say it to yourself. I don't need anyone but Jesus. That sounds like a really good thing to say. 
But as you grow up, you'll find out that's not what God wants you to say. All I needed to be saved was him. All I needed to be righteous was him. All I needed to be sanctified was him. However, that's not all I need to walk this life out. Because me and Jesus, we are a majority. But I'm just a part in his body. He designed me for these other people. Flawed, broken, messed up, but full of the spirit. Who are coming to a place of wholeness. Who are coming to a place of maturity. Verse 22. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. It's hard for me to read. It's hard for me to read because I have a job. I have a role in the body where I get honor from people. I got honor today. I believe that's godly. The scripture tells us to honor those that teach us. I get that. However, God will bestow more abundant honor on the person that never gets noticed. That's the one God's like heaping honor on. The person that's shoveling the walk. The person that's visiting the nursing home and nobody knows about it. The person that's in their prayer closet interceding for the church. When they're not posting on Facebook, I'm interceding for the church. They're just doing it. <laughs> that person is going to be heaped honor. Heaped honor from God. Wow. That's big. He says, the members of the body which seem to be weaker. Notice they seem to be weaker. It's not that they are, but they seem to be that way. They're necessary. Those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. Now listen. He's about to tell us that God's going to heap honor on them. But pay attention to that verse. We bestow honor on them. We'll come back to that in a minute. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, he's the composer, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. What does that tell us? What's, what's one of the solutions to division? Honor. Honor is an antidote for division and strife. Because the, the way of the flesh is competition and jealousy and strife. The way of the spirit is honor up, down, all around. If we honor one another for the grace that's in them. If we honor the grace that's in someone. So we honor Christ in them. I'm not honoring you because I think that what you're doing is impressive. I'm honoring you because Christ is working in you. If I honor that, it will keep the body. It, it will prevent division. It will prevent strife. It will prevent a feeling of I'm not useful or I don't need anyone else. We need to practice honor. We need to put it to work. When I say practice honor, think about it and do it. Yeah. Who's doing something no one's noticing? Can I honor them? What about the people that I think are getting a bunch of honor, but I should just honor anyways? What about the people that are, you know, are serving uh, and 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 some people notice those people, other people don't. And you know what? They've never said a thing to me. I don't feel like they honor me. Who cares if they honor you? You honor them. Show honor. Scripture says, let's outdo one another in honor. Like, let's compete. If we're going to compete, let's just compete to how much we can honor one another. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's going out of our way to honor each other. Because what we're doing is honoring Christ. 
There won't be any division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I love that. The members should care for one another, should take care of one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I love that. He says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. I'll stop there. And he goes on and he says, not everybody has the same gift. and Not everybody does the same thing. And then he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. And he starts to talk about love. Because love is the more excellent way. But I just want to bring it to where we live practically right now. First of all, I want you to never say anymore, no one will notice if I don't do my thing. No one would notice if I was gone, because it's not true. It's not true, it's not right, it's not godly. Second thing, I never want you to say again, I don't need anybody else, because you do. God made you to need him, and he made you to need people. And it's not a weakness. It's the way we were designed. Until we realize that, we're always going to be less than what we should be, because we are more than the sum of our parts. If your hand was on its own, if your foot was on its own, if your, if your uh, organs were on their own, they wouldn't be able to accomplish much at all, but together they can do great things. And I want you to consider, how can I show honor? How can I show honor to, as, as the old saying goes, honor up, honor down, honor all around? How can I demonstrate honor? Maybe, maybe keep your head up and, and notice people that don't normally get noticed, but they're doing something for the Lord. You know, I, I think the scripture tells us very clearly, I, I, honor, I honor my fathers in the faith. I honor those that teach me. I honor them with a double honor. I treat them with respect. I, I'll go out of my way. If there are people in my life that have poured into my life, and if they said you need to get on a plane tomorrow and be here, I would get on a plane tomorrow and be there. I show honor that way, but... Uh, that's not the only way honor goes. And truly, when I say up, down, and all around, I want you to understand those are, those are in our eyes. No one's really down. Does that make sense? No one's really down. There's levels of authority. There's levels of leadership. But nobody is below anybody else in this equation. We're all parts of the body, right? So, you know, you don't, you don't value an organ because it's closer to your head than another organ. Right? You don't say, well, the, you know, my kidneys aren't near as important. Look how far down they are. That's silly. It doesn't matter. They're all part of the body. Right? You don't, you don't say, my eyebrows are more important than my feet because my eyebrows are so close to my head. That's silly. So really, nobody's below and down here and nobody's up here. We're all just parts of the body. So let's honor one another. Let's honor Christ. Go out of your way and find somebody that's doing something that nobody's given any honor to. Pour some honor on them. I'm not talking about flattery that makes them uncomfortable. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, 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 giving them this, this, you know, like throwing a parade for everybody. But I am just saying, go out of your way and thank somebody. Go out of your way and encourage someone. Go out of your way and love somebody. And then when, when you see someone suffering, sometimes the way we honor one another is when one member suffers, we, we act like we're suffering. We, we treat it like that's me too, I'm with you. 
And when one minute we rejoice, we throw a party. We, we rejoice with them. Because that's our victory too. Competition will die in that environment. Jealousy will die in that environment. Because it's all, if God did it for one, God did it for all. Amen. Let's stand up and pray.